jar by the door Who is it for all the lonely people Where do they all come from All the lonely people Where do they all belong Bob McKenzie Writing the words of a sermon That no one will hear No one comes near Look at him Talks in the night when there's nobody there. What does he care? All the lonely people. Where do they all come from? All the lonely people. Where do they all belong? Ah, look at all the lonely people. Ah, look at all. I can't think of a more critical message to share with you today than a lifeline for the lonely. Because people today are so lonely. It's a plague, actually, for our culture today. In fact, I was doing some research before preparing for this talk, and I found that Harvard recently did a study, and they found of Americans, 36% of Americans say they're lonely most of the time or all the time. It gets worse, though, for young adults. For young adults, 61% of young adults say that they are experiencing serious loneliness. Two-thirds of those young adults say that they have no one who believes in them. 12% constantly are comparing themselves with others every single day. High school girls, it's even worse for them. 50% of all high school girls in 2019 shared that they are experiencing severe sadness and loneliness. So I have to ask the question, why are we so lonely today? What's wrong with our culture? 
I mean, we live in a culture where we're so connected with one another. Why are we experiencing such intense loneliness? Well, you can look for the answer to that question through a number of TED Talks. There's a lot out there. Or you can walk down the aisle of a bookstore and go to the self-help section and find books all about loneliness. But today you chose to come to church. Or today you joined us online because you're looking at what God might say about loneliness. Here's what I found. In the Bible, we find these lifelines, don't we? No matter what question we may have, God answers those questions in the pages of this book. And over the past three weeks, we've shared some lifelines to help you through. The lifeline to help you to overcome temptation, anxiety. And today I want to share a message about how I believe God gives us a lifeline when you're lonely. And as I've researched, and as I've studied and looked over all of the Bible, I've found that God gives us an antidote to a lonely heart. That antidote, that lifeline is hope. Hope is the lifeline that helps us to overcome loneliness. And in order to understand hope, we've got to go back to the very beginning of the Bible story. Because after God created Adam, he notices that in his first creation that Adam has this deep sense that he's alone. We find that in Genesis chapter 2, verse number 18. Here's what the Bible says. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, Adam has these deep feelings of being alone. He's the first of God's creation. He's the only guy on planet Earth. So God starts, and if you remember the creation story, he makes the land, and then God says, it's good. Then he makes the sky, and he says, it's good. Then after God creates mankind, he says, it's very good. And if you read all of Genesis, this is the first place that God says, it's not good. It's not good. So how could the God of the universe create something that's not good? See, Adam's incomplete. God created Adam to be in relationship. That's how God wired him up. And this is before the fall took place. This is before sin even entered into the world. And still, Adam feels lonely. Why? Because deep inside of us, God wired us up to be in relationships. And you can find this out if you study the human brain. Because your brain, when you wake up in the morning, you have some serious needs. The first need that you have is oxygen. It's critical for life, okay? It's the basic need stuff. It's to eat. It's to drink. For most of us, coffee in the morning, okay? You have the needs that are just very basic. Then after your brain thinks about those basic needs, it moves on to, am I safe? Do I have shelter? Is my environment free from a bear that's going to attack me? Or is it free from anything that's going to cause me pain then do you know what your brain thinks about next thinks about your relationships start it starts to think about your social relationships because your brain knows that there's safety in numbers and if you have a tribe if you have a group of people you will be safe this is also why when you lie your head on the pillow at night you think a lot about your relationships because your brain is constantly trying to draw you into relationships. 
So when you feel alone, when you feel lonely, it's your brain's way of saying, man, you need to find some friends. You need to find some relationships that matter. It's like a check engine light in a car. Now, when I was growing up as a child of the 70s, we always drove like beater cars. Like they were always very low tech. And so in the 70s, we always had cars that barely ran. And in fact, I only knew to check my engine if I was like on the side of the road broken down. That was my sign. But then in the 1980s, in fact, in 1983, my grandmother bought a brand new Oldsmobile Toronado. It looked like this. It was like at least 27 feet long. It was this huge car. Now, never did I know that this car would be the car that I went away to college in. I was riding in style, okay? I was driving this car all around at the Bible Institute of Los Angeles, and it was there that I got my very first job. Now, I had to drive 45 minutes to a church all the way out in like San Pedro, California. And so on my way out, I was riding with my friend. I still remember this one day. I'm driving my Oldsmobile Toronado, and as I'm driving, my friend looks over and he says, hey, do you know that your check engine light's on? I said, what? He said, dude, your check engine light is on. We should probably pull over and check out the engine. So I looked at Christian. I said, Christian, we're fine. My temperature looks good. The car's still running. It's not smoking. I'm not on the side of the road. I don't need to check the engine. In fact, in that moment... <laughs> I didn't even know what a check engine light was. So here I am driving this car with the check engine light on, and I have no idea. Two weeks later, I'm pulling into the church parking lot, and I hear this sound, clunk, 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 clunk. Finally, I make my way into the parking lot, and I hear the sound, I look out of the car, and it was like Niagara Falls. All the water was pouring out of my engine, and I fried the water pump. I almost completely destroyed the engine. Why? Because I ignored the check engine light. I just kept driving, thinking everything was okay, while disaster was at hand. Now, I believe that God has given us those feelings of being alone so that we're driven towards relationships. I believe it's his check engine light with us so that we move into loving relationships. Here's what I also know. If left, left unchecked, this can be disastrous. If you don't check this out, if you don't pursue godly relationships, why? I believe the devil does his best work when you're lonely. You say, how does that happen? Well, it's the 40-year-old, right? Who's sitting alone. Feels like he has... No friends at all. So instead of pursuing relationships, what does he do? Goes to the local bar, looks for friends. And if you're over 40, you go to Applebee's. <laughs> but instead of finding friends, what does he do? He just drinks, gets drunk. It's the person who's staying up late at night, feeling unfulfilled, and they go on the internet. And one search after another search leads deep into internet pornography. It's the person who doesn't have a relationship. They're single. 
And they'll settle. They'll hook up with anyone who gives them attention. It's the person who's married as well. That's lonely in their relationship with their spouse. But instead of working on the problem, they start flirting. They start exchanging longer glances. They may even cheat. And it may not just be self-destructive behaviors. It may be self-destructive thoughts that get the best of us. Because the devil can make us think things, right? When we're lonely, he can make us think that we're the only one. He makes us think that, man, nobody will ever like or love us. Begins to think that there's no hope. Why? Because the devil does his best work when we're lonely. Because it's in his nature. We find in the Bible a little bit about the nature of the devil. First, we find that the devil is a liar. That's what John Chapter 8, verse 44 says, it says this, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Satan's a liar. Satan loves to lie to us, doesn't he? Tells us all the wrong things that we've ever done. He says that there's no hope. He winds us inside of ourselves so that he can trap us. Why? Because Satan is not just a liar, but he is like an opportune lion. That's what 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 8 says. It says, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. See, that's what Satan is. He's an opportune lion. He loves to hunt us down. He loves to eat us for lunch if he can. Why? Because he is always looking for the opportunity. In preparation for this message, I watched a lot of National Geographic videos on YouTube, which is never ending, okay? But I watched all these videos of lions. And you know what they found for lions and hyenas is when animals are in a pack, those predators won't attack them. Because they're scared. They're scared of getting kicked in the head. They're scared of those animals turning on them in that moment. But once that animal is divided, once that animal is separated from community, they're easy prey. So what does the devil do? He separates us from others. He drives us away from community because he knows that then we're easy pickings for him. Think about what happened over COVID. We were all sitting all by ourselves, thinking we were going to die, stockpiling toilet paper, right? Just by ourselves. I believe the devil at times had us right where he wanted us to be because we were isolated from Christian community. We were isolated from other people. He's an opportune lion in that way. And he is not just an opportune lion, but he is also a thief. Jesus says it himself in John chapter 10, verse number 10. He says this, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. Make no mistake about it. The devil wants to destroy you. And he can wind you up when you're lonely so that he can steal all of our joy, all of our life out of our very being. He wants you to be hopeless. But here's the good news. The verse doesn't end there. Jesus says this, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. 
While the devil loves to do his best work when we're lonely, God comes and he works. Jesus offers a better way and that better way is through hope. Hope is the way that we can overcome loneliness because hope changes things. Hope changes things from the inside out. I want to give you three ways today that I believe that hope changes things. You're going to want to take notes because this is really important. The first way that hope changes things is this. Hope restores our relationship with God. Have you ever had a broken relationship with someone else? Someone else who didn't want to talk to you? Someone who gave you the silent treatment? For me, that happened when I was just nine years old. I'm nine years old, right? And I'm playing over at my cousin's house. And my cousin's a teenager and she had invited another teenage friend over. And I, I'm nine and I didn't really want to be there. I didn't want all the girl talk and everything. So I, I wanted to get out of the house. So my cousin asked me, hey, how do you think my teenage friend looks? Well, being a dumb nine-year-old and wanting to get out of the situation, I said very mean words that I still remember now that I'm 46 years old. Still remember those words. I ran out of the house and that teenage girl fell to pieces. She starts crying so bad and my cousin tries to comfort her, but no comfort can be found with the power of the words that I spoke. I went away, dumb nine-year-old, right? The next day, though, I saw my cousin again. And my cousin, she didn't want to talk to me. She gave me the silent treatment. And that went on, not just that day, but weeks later when I was at a family party, my cousin wouldn't talk to me. I'm sad to admit this, but this went on for almost a full year that my cousin didn't want a relationship with me because the words that I spoke. Finally, I humbled myself and I want a relationship with my cousin. So I went and I said, I was sorry. I had to work through some of my feelings with her. She had to work through her feelings with me, but we made the relationship right. Do you know how good it felt? When there was forgiveness, when that relationship came back together, there was life. Now that's what I did when I was a dumb nine-year-old kid. But way beyond that, all of us have had a broken relationship with God. We broke that relationship because of sin. And because of that, we were all disconnected from God. But God made a path through Jesus to make things right. You see, that path of brokenness was the start of when we first started to feel lonely as a people. We were disconnected from God. But God does a great work. He gives us an opportunity to have our relationship restored through Jesus Christ. Paul makes this clear in Romans chapter 5, verse number 1. Here's what Paul says. Therefore, since we have been justified, that means our relationship has now been made right. Through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And now we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So Paul writes and he says, because of what Jesus did, we can now have a right relationship with God. Because Jesus died, he was buried, and three days later he rose up from the dead. We can have now a relationship 
with God. We can stand in peace with God because he has restored our relationship. Again, we don't have to feel disconnected from him, but now we can know him here in this life. And one day we could stand forever with him in heaven. That's the hope that he provides. Now, if you don't get your relationship with God right, you will always be lonely. Because God created us with this need to know him. He created us with this hole in our heart that needs God in it. And you're going to try to find that peace through doing other things or pursuing behaviors. But none of that brings you hope. What's the thing that we boast in? Paul makes it clear. We boast in the hope that we have because of a right relationship with God. And when you have that, there's nothing this world can throw at you that'll get you off track. In fact, Paul makes that really clear in the next verse. It says in verse number three, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character finally, hope. Paul's saying that no matter what we go through, whether it's suffering, whether it's persecution, all those things, even the worst of things, is growing us in character. And Paul knows Heaven is our home. So there's nothing that we can go through in this life that can take away the hope that's in our heart because God has restored our relationship with him. If you're lonely today, I believe that God can fill that hole in your heart with Jesus and with hope. Hope goes beyond that though. Hope not only restores our relationship with God, but hope reminds us that God is with us. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is the best part. God goes with us. He lives inside of us. He wants to help us along. We know from Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, that he will never leave us, nor will he forsake us. He's always with us. Paul reminds us of this as well when it says in verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So hope does not disappoint us. Hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God has poured out his Holy Spirit into our hearts. When you become a follower of Jesus, you get this gift of the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of you. The Bible says that it wasn't spilled, but it was poured out into your hearts so that we would always know that God is with us no matter what we might be facing. He walks with us and he carries us along. Make no mistake about it. God, God will never let you down. Your family members will let you down. Your friends will let you down. Your coworkers as well, they may let you down as well. Your wife, she will never let you down. She's perfect. Okay, I want to eat today, all right? <laughs> Everyone in this earth will let you down. But here's the good news. God will never let you down. He's always with you. And Jesus promised those original disciples that he was there to comfort us, that he was going to send the Holy Spirit to teach us even more things, and that he would always be with us. And I could tell you from experience 
God has always been with me, even on my darkest of days. I remember when my kids were acting up, and my kids, if you know them, they always act up. But on this particular day, it was so bad that my wife had to call me up. She had to tell me about the things that they had done, and my kids were just really, really awful that day. And I remember driving home, and I knew that I had to have a critical conversation with my boys. And if you know me, I have a tendency to be very, very loud. So in that moment, I had to pray. I began to pray those words from Psalm chapter 19. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And I walked into the room to have a conversation with my boys, and something amazing happened. The Holy Spirit showed up, and I began to work with my boys. And God drew us closer together as a family. We worked through that conflict, and the Holy Spirit showed up in the hardest moment. I could tell you about the time when I buried my dad 14 years ago, standing by his graveside. Feeling, you know, the pain of all the people around me who are crying and everything else. And in that moment, feeling overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit, God reminding me of the hope that I have because of heaven. That one day I'm going to see my dad again with no more cancer, no more dementia, no more hurting and no more struggling. My dad has been made whole in heaven God overwhelmed me with the power of the Holy Spirit in that moment. I could tell you when the time just years ago when I was a young father, when I had lost my job as a pastor, having to drive home and tell my wife that I'd lost my job, feeling like my world had been turned upside down. And even in that moment, being overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit and hearing his subtle and still voice saying, Andrew, I'm not done with you yet. And then God calling me to this obscure church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. God knew what he was doing. God overwhelmed me with his presence in that moment. That's what God does. He walks with us. Why does he walk with us? Because God loves us. Let me show you the full extent of God's love because Paul makes it clear in Romans chapter 5, verse number 6. It says this, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Then it says this in verse 8. This is the best part. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I'd probably die for my family members. I'd die for my kids. I'd die for my wife. I might even die for a good person. But I'm never going to die for my enemy. I'm never going to die for that person on Paseo or on the highway who cuts me off and waves at me with one finger. I'm not dying for my enemy. I'm not dying for the ungodly. But God does the unthinkable. He sends Jesus to die on behalf of prideful, boastful, people who were once enemies of God. 
He dies on behalf of all the wrong things that we've ever done. Why? Because he loves us. He doesn't just talk about loving us. What does he do? He demonstrates his own love for us. He gives his very best. And in giving his very best, he gives us the opportunity to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we can know, no matter what we go through, that he is with us. So hope reminds us that God's with us. And so if you're lonely, I want you to know that you can have God with you on your darkest of days when you turn to him. Finally, hope renews our passion for relationships. Hope changes us and the way we approach relationships. Why? In light of the fact that God loves us, I'm called to love others. In light of the fact that God forgives all the wrong, dumb things that I've ever done, I should forgive other people. In light of the fact that God created us for a community, I should pursue loving relationships. Why? Because while the devil does his best work when you're lonely, God does his best work when you're in community. When you're in community around other believers, that I believe is when God does his very best work. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promises is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you see what it says there? Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we have. See, every time that we gather together as a church, we remind one another of the hope. And there's strength in numbers, isn't there? There's strength when we're together because we encourage one another to hold on to this hope. No matter what this life throws at us. We know that in community, we can stand against it. So I have to ask you, is this it? Is this it? Is going to church on the weekend and just showing up for the message, is this all you're doing? Or have you found a small group to join? Or have you found a place to serve in a ministry? Because if you want to find true community, you've got to get involved beyond just the weekend service. Because it's inside of those types of communities that you're going to encourage one another along. You know what's saddest for me? Working at a big church, so a lot of people know me in this community. So I drive around, I see a lot of different people. And man, people usually do a double take when they see me. They're like, Who, who's that guy? Do I know him from somewhere? And if they're brave enough, they'll come up to talk to me and they'll be like, hey, I know you from somewhere. Are you, that, are you that Pastor Todd? And I'll say, no, I'm much better looking if we're honest. I'll say, no, I'm Andrew. I work at Sagebrush, though. The saddest part for me is a lot of times they'll say, oh, yeah, that's the, that's the church that I used to go to. Or they say, man, that's the church that I got baptized at, but, you know, I just haven't been in, in years. And it always breaks my heart. Do you know Why? Because I know what it's like to feel lonely. I know what it's like to feel separated from others. But every time I come to this church, every time I'm gathered around other people who have the same hope that I have, I'm changed. 
I'm changed by God when I come into his presence. Every time I sit in my small group, I'm held accountable to live this life for God. Every time I gather together, I stand firmly in community. And I believe that's not where the devil wants us. I believe the devil trembles when you're in community. Why? Because there's nothing that he can throw at you that's going to shake you in the faith and the hope that you have. That's the power of hope, my friends. So I was preparing for this message. I was reminded of Nick Vujicic's story. And if you know Nick Vujicic's story, he was the man who was born with no arms and no legs. Could you imagine that? He's born to these parents with this rare birth defect. Here's a picture of Nick when he was younger. There's no arms and no legs. His parents do their best to try to raise Nick in a normal way. So they put him in regular school. And when they put him in regular school, he endures bullying, teasing, and so much more. To the point where he feels rejected, lonely, and at times he even considers taking his own life. But then, when he's 15 years old, the man starts reading the Bible for himself. And he comes to John chapter 9, the story of the man who was born blind. He starts reading that story all about this man who was born blind and he starts thinking about himself, how he was born with no arms and no legs. And he believed that God could heal him on the inside, that God could help him. So Nick found this hope of a restored relationship with God. And then he felt that hope of God living inside of him, that God would never leave him, nor would God forsake him. And now he shares that hope with others. In fact, Nick travels all over the world and he shares his story of hope and he shares how Jesus changes everything. Here's a picture of Nick sharing the gospel and the good news of Jesus. And beyond that, you can clap. Beyond that, God gave Nick a family and kids as well. Here's a picture of his whole entire family. That's the hope that God can give us. You see, he renews our passion for relationships. So I have to ask you, friend, are you lonely? Do you feel like you're rejected? Are you overwhelmed with sadness? Because if that's you today, I want to give you a lifeline. That lifeline is hope. And when you find the hope that Jesus Christ offers, it changes everything. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this message. Father, thank you for the hope that you gave through your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, God, for the ones who are here today who might be lonely, who might feel just overwhelmed with sadness, the ones who feel like they're the only one that the devil has been messing with because we know he does his best work when we feel alone. I pray today God would be that defining moment in their life where they see that check engine light, they don't ignore it, but God, they run to community. They run to the help that this church can provide them. God, I pray that they would find that hope that we have in your son, Jesus, of a, a restored relationship with you. 
And God, that they would find that hope that you're going to go with us. Remind them of that today. And then renew their passion for relationships. Help them to reach out to others. God, I pray, even now in this moment, that you would change people. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.